Well, good morning. It is so good to see you here in person, and thank you so much for joining us online as well. I'm looking forward to uh, this morning as we continue in the series that we've been doing uh, in Acts. Uh, if you are new with us, if this is your first Sunday with us, we have been traveling through this book called Acts um, that is in the New Testament, follows the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Um, also, before I forget, if you do not yet have one, uh, in the seats uh, in front of you um, are these Acts journals um, that we have purchased. And really, we bought these with the idea that, you know, anybody who wanted one could have one of these. If you um, want to just take this, if you don't have one, and, and use this each week, uh, just bring it with you. Or if you want to take notes, it also has places you can take notes in it. Um, but we would love for you to have one of those. It's just our gift to you and for you to follow along. Hey, we are in this, uh, we've broken this book of Acts down into series, and we're in this series we're calling Birth of the Church because we are looking at the start of the church, um, this church that has existed uh, since after Jesus was raised, uh, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, um, and it's the same church that we are a part of uh, today. And, and what I want to do right now is do, do one of those things that if you watch a series or, or, or anything, it's kind of like that previously on kind of a time, okay? So in case you missed it or just as a refresher as to where we are in the story this morning. So, you know, Jesus has risen from the dead. He spent 40 days appearing uh, to uh, different groups of people, his closest followers and others. Um, and then he gathers his followers on a mountain and he shares with them uh, that they're going to be his witnesses um, and they're, we're going to share the story of who he is and what he has done. Um, and then he ascends into heaven and leaves them. And he's told them that they need to wait in Jerusalem for a period of time, uh, that he didn't say how long it was going to be, um, and, and that there would be the presence of the Spirit would come on them. They didn't understand exactly what that meant. And what we have been looking at this series is, this gets fulfilled on a day called Pentecost, which is 50 days after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And, and, and all of these things happen at, on this day that are signs and evidences of the fact that God's Spirit now is dwelling in those who are following him. And, and one of those signs was the fact that there was this giant wind, and this wind creates the interest that stirs this crowd to gather, and they're Men and women who gather in this crowd that are from all over the known world. And they hear the gospel for the first time. They hear the gospel message of what God has done through Jesus. And over 3,000 men and women respond that day and are baptized. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. And so you're kind of wondering what on earth happens to these 3,000 people. I mean, 3,000 people. That's a lot of people in one day. So what happens next? I mean, there's no building to go to. There's no structured organization. There's not even a Bible to study. I mean, what do you do with 3,000 instant people who have said yes to Jesus? And this is... Where we pick up this morning, and again, in these journals, it's on page 18, Acts chapter 2, 
verse 42. And let me just say this. I know that if you're not familiar um, with kind of how the Bible lays out, I know that the Bible that we read is broken into um, chapters and verses and even into sections. Um, and that just, you know, so it's easier to reference. And all that. But this wasn't written that way originally. It was just written as a, this was basically a travel journal that Luke wrote. And he just kind of like documented all the things that were happening. And, and so really, you know, what we're going to read this morning is directly connected to verse 41. It says, so those who received his word, Peter's word, and were baptized, and, and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls, and then it just goes right into this, and this is what they did. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved. And you read this, and you're like, of course, that's exactly what would happen, right? I mean, let's put this in the context today. I live in the, in the Greenwood section of Warwick. And, and, and I just imagine, like, myself, it's a nice, sunny uh, spring day, which we're all longing for right now. And, it's, and we're all out doing yard work, and all of a sudden we hear this loud noise, and all of us gather together in this one place in this Stranger stands up and he shares this amazing news, and myself and all of my neighbors respond to this news, and of course, yes, we want to follow. What do we do next? We're going to gather together, we're going to break bread together, you know, are we going to hang out together all the time? Are we going to pray together? You know, are we going to share everything that we have? Are we going to have all of a sudden this amazing unity of what we're doing? Like, that just doesn't happen naturally. That's just not how we're wired or how we're been. And so what we see here is something remarkable. And it's easy to, again, it's kind of easy to read Scripture just kind of flat. Oh, we've heard this before, but understand the miracle of what is happening here, that all of a sudden this transformational thing happens. There's no script. There was no list of this is what you need. Peter didn't stand up and give announcements at the end and say, hey, we're going to have a Bible study right after this, and you know, you're welcome to join. You know, I think we'll break bread over in the Smith's home. There was no follow this plan. This is the Holy Spirit working and moving within this group of people. And what I really think we see happening, what we really see coming to life in this is what Jesus talked about in Matthew 28. And we call this the Great Commission. We call this, like, this is what God has called his church to do. And Jesus says this. He had gathered his followers together, and he had said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I think this is what we see. We see this happening in the flesh. You know, Jesus didn't call them to gather a large group, and Jesus didn't call them just to do social justice, and Jesus didn't call them to plant and establish churches. Jesus called them to make disciples. And that's what I think we see happening in these verses. And we're going to spend this morning and the next three Sundays unpacking these few sentences because there's so much to look at here. And today what I want to do is look at the overarching picture of what's happening in these sentences. And it's something that's called discipleship. That these folks are becoming disciples of Jesus. They are becoming more like Jesus. And a disciple is simply this. A disciple, a disciple is a, a follower to become like. That's basically what a disciple is. Someone who's following somebody to become like that person. And, and the purpose of discipleship is to become more like Jesus. That's the goal, that's what we're aiming for when we talk about being a disciple, throwing this discipleship idea around. And I think one of the biggest things we struggle with in the church today is, is the very thing that we've been called by Jesus to do, and that's the idea of making disciples. And South Point isn't immune to this. And here's why I think one of the biggest reasons we fail it's because we make the means the end. We make the means the end. You, you, we, 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 what we label discipleship is the plan or the formula or the program, and we start with these questions. Are you reading your Bible? Are you going to church services every week? Are you praying? Are you giving? Are you serving? Are you in a group? And, and hear me, these are all important and these are all beneficial. But these activities are not the focus or even the starting place for following Jesus. And we need to stop seeing discipleship as a plan. Because fundamentally, at its core, discipleship is a relationship. Discipleship is a relationship with God. It's a relationship that's been initiated by God. He first loved us while we were still sinners, while we were still his enemy, while we were separated from him. God loved us first in our brokenness, in our mess. God loved us first, and he loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us there. He died for us. He paid a price that we couldn't pay. And like I shared a couple of weeks ago, Jesus didn't die so that we could go to heaven. He, he died so we could have a restored, a reconciled relationship with God that had been severed by sin. And now God is in us, in the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and there's nothing we can do to earn this. And, and we certainly do not deserve it. We're not good people. But he offers this to us as a free gift, and all we have to do is accept. 
And this is the gospel. It's the good news of what God has done for us. And the fact that God now is in us. And and when we start to really grasp this, when we really understand this, everything changes. You know, we're no longer bound by sin. It, It doesn't just mean that we're no longer subject to the consequences of sin. We're no longer subject to the consequences of of this physical separation or the spiritual separation from God from, from God and, and the, the, the physical separation. But, but it also means that we're no longer defined by sin either. We're no longer called slaves to sin. We are now called a child of God. And, and when you said yes to Jesus and you decided to make him Lord and Savior, you are now his son or his daughter. And that changes our identity. We are fully known and we are fully loved. And our value, how we view ourselves, how we should see ourselves is not defined by our successes or our failures. And our value is not how much we make or we don't make. Our value is not in our education. Our value is not in how we look. Our value is, in not how, is not caught up in how much we have or we don't have. Our value is now found in the person who loves us most. And how can our response be anything short but an abiding love for him? You know, I think, I think love is an overused word. I mean, I, I love coffee, and I love the Red Sox. Go Sox. But we use it so many times that it just becomes diluted. And so when we talk about loving God, we equate it with kind of like coffee and the Red Sox, right? Just kind of fit them into however it's convenient. And, and what's interesting is how Jesus talked about this love for God, and he framed it in two different parables that I think really highlight what this looks like, what God, love for God looks like. And he talks about it in terms of this. He talks about a man who is walking through a field and he discovers a treasure buried in this field. And he covers it back up and he goes and he sells everything he has in order to get that treasure. He sells everything. He gives away everything in order to have that treasure. He also talks about a pearl merchant that's out and he's looking for Pearls, and one day he comes across this pearl, this amazing pearl that he's never seen before. It's a unique pearl. He's never, like, ever encountered anything like this. And he goes, and he also sells everything he has in order to have this pearl. And God is describing this relationship, our response to this relationship with God in terms of this treasure and this pearl that we give away everything for in order to acquire. And hear this when we see this. We give up everything to get and keep this treasure. But but the reason that we give it up is not because we're required to. The reason that we give it up is because everything else in life pales in comparison to what this is, what this relationship is. Nothing can compare to this unbelievable relationship that we have with God. Everything else just fades in the distance. There's this really interesting conversation that Jesus has 
with Peter, the one who preaches the sermon that Dustin shared about last Sunday. And you know, Peter had messed things up. I mean, he had just a few days before Jesus has this conversation had denied that he even knew Jesus. And, and, and there's still, even though Jesus has appeared to his followers, they're not exactly sure what's happening. And, and, and so they do the only thing they know what to do. They just go fishing because that's what they were. They were fishermen. And so they just go back to what they were doing before. And, and Jesus meets them on the shore. And, and Jesus is cooking breakfast for them. And, and Peter recognizes Jesus. He tries to walk on water again. Um, not, not successful this time. And... And, and as they're eating breakfast together, there's this conversation that takes place, and it's found in John chapter 21. And, and I want you to hear the question that Jesus asked Peter. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And, and Jesus is basically sitting there with this group of disciples, and he's just basically saying, Peter, do you love me more than the other ones that are sitting here at the fire? And he said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to them, feed my lambs. And a second time, he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. And he said to him a third time, <laughs> Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and this is where John kind of takes a moment and just says, look, you know, Peter was grieved because he had said to him third time, and not just, I'm sure not just grieved, but probably embarrassed. Like he's sitting there with his buddies, and, and Jesus is quizzing him around the fire, to, you know, and, he's, and he's, it's like Jesus isn't believing him. And, and he says, you love me. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus, to, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You know, Jesus could have asked Peter all kinds of different things. He could ask Peter Peter, are you going to be loyal to me? Peter, are you going to be trustworthy? Are you going to deny me again? That's not what he asked. He asked, do you love me? It, because this is the foundation for what Peter will do and who Peter will become is this love for God. And the same is true for us. Let, let me illustrate it a different way. Apart from Jesus, the most important relationship that I have on this earth is my, with my wife, Lindy. And, and I remember the very first time I saw her. I was in eighth grade. And uh, she was, at the time, she was going with my best friend. And we were at, and, and my best friend and I went to the same church. And she went to a different church, and she had come to one of our church functions with him. And I just remember, I couldn't, like, get my eyes off of her. Like, let me just, just a side note. This is my ADD kicking in. <laughs> you know what's interesting? We guys are just horrible at describing beauty. I mean, think about it. What are the words we used to describe? Like, in the day, it was like, she was a fox, right? <laughs> a fox is a furry animal that eats rabbits and squirrels i mean come on now i have foxes in my backyard i mean I'd nothing look like a fox or we say that she's hot or smoking or what on earth that has nothing to do with beauty we just have a hard time like sorry i, I digress she was very attractive and still is 
In fact, I ended up going to the same high school as her. And, and, and I spent three and a half years just waiting for an opportunity. And, and I'll be honest with you, I kind of heard through the grapevine that she would say yes if I were to ask her out. Like, I wouldn't have even approached it because she was, like, way out of my league. <laughs> and in the 38 years since that time, while our relationship has definitely had its challenges and rough patches, neither of us have ever reduced our relationship to a list of have-tos. I mean, we didn't sit down at our honeymoon night and make a list of responsibilities. Hey, every morning I'll sit and talk to you for like three minutes. And, and then while you're at it, why don't you write some facts about yourself? Um, and then every once in a while I'll pull those out and I'll just kind of read those, you know, read those a few minutes a day. And perhaps later in the day I'll think about you or maybe I'll even shoot you a text about what I need. Again, while it's not perfect, it's always been about our love for one another and my question this morning for myself and for you is why then would we reduce our most important relationship the relationship with the God of the universe to a list or a plan and here is where the church has often failed we get so focused on trying to do the activities in order to have the relationship with God and we build programs or events or or we try different structures or ministries around these things, but we miss the relationship altogether. There's a key word in this passage that I think it's easy just to read over, and that's the word devoted. It's the word devoted. It's not a word that we use a whole lot today. We, we're not devoted as a culture. We're distracted as a culture. This was written, this journal that was written by Luke was originally written in the Greek language, and so they tried to translate this word as best they could into an English word, and they used the word devoted, but really, if you look at the Greek word for this, the Greek word is really a combination of two words. It's good beside, and it's the idea of becoming increasingly good at being close beside someone or something. And in this case, it's the idea of becoming increasingly good at being closer beside the Lord, to really know Him and to love Him. And here's why this shift of how we approach discipleship is so important, why this shift in perspective is so important. When we view discipleship as a devoted relationship with God, here is what happens practically. We, we no longer see reading the Bible as a study, but, but it's a way to listen to the one we love most so we can get to know him more. We, we no longer view prayer as a ritual or a laundry list of our needs, but, but it's a time where our focus and attention is on the one who loves us the most and we love the most. We, we no longer view our Sunday gatherings is a time for our needs to be met, but for us to give our affection to the one that we love the most. And serving others is not a duty or an obligation, but it's done out of a response for how much we have been loved. But discipleship as a relationship doesn't just start with our relationship with God. Discipleship is also a relationship with others. 
You, you see, God designed us. He created us to be re- in relationship with him, but he also created us to be re- in relationship with one another. And, and I think what we see happening in these verses is, is God's reconciliation of what he intended from the beginning. Not just a reconciliation with himself, but a re- reconciliation with others. Because sin not just, didn't just separate us from God, it separated us from one another. I mean, you, you see that in the garden. I mean, instantly, Adam and Eve turn on one another. It was him, it was her, it was the serpent. And, and we've been at each other ever since. And what we see here is God beginning to reconcile us together. And, and what we are going to see happen as we look at the book of Acts moving forward is we're going to see two extreme groups of people, the Jews and everybody else, being reconciled together. No longer are they, is, is they're gathering based upon ethnicity or race or lineage, but it's based on this restored relationship with God. It's an incredible thing, and it's easy for us to miss if we don't see this. Years ago, I don't know how long, it's been a long time, and I can't even tell you who told me this, but I was told that it's important that we have three relationships in our lives that we really need a Paul, that we need a Barnabas, and we need a Timothy in our lives. And, and what is meant by that is, you know, the idea of having a Paul in your life is somebody who's spiritually been there. Like, they, they've been traveling with God for a while, and they've experienced and they've failed. But you should have that relationship in your life, someone who's been there before. And you need a Barnabas, and a Barnabas for Paul was this traveling companion. You need somebody who's right there in the mix with you. You, you need somebody who's, who's kind of going along the journey with you. And, and you need a Timothy. And, and the Timothy references, Paul had this relationship with who, who he called his son in the faith, it is this idea of somebody who is just behind you. Like just in their journey, they're just behind you when it comes to the relationship with God. And why are these relationships so important? The Proverbs tell us that iron sharpens iron. We need one another to sharpen one another. We need one another to be able to learn from each other, to hold each other accountable, to be responsible for somebody else. And the other reason is because there's strength in numbers. I, my wife and I just got done finished watching the series 1883. And 1883 is basically about... Um, uh, it, Set in 1883, in case the title didn't give it away. (laughs) But it follows this group of men and women who travel from Texas to Oregon on the Oregon Trail. And all of the challenges and difficulty, but over and over and over again, the theme that you see running through this is there's strength in numbers. There's strength in numbers. And as soon as somebody falls out, sure enough, they succumb to some really bad things. And the same is true for us. I mean, there's strength in numbers. There's a reason God created and designed his church. There are, he never designed for us to go it alone. And, and you'll hear this all the time. Like in my conversations with people, I, I love God, but I, I don't love the church. And I understand that because the church certainly has not lived up to what the church should be because it's made up of messy, broken people, right? Not that that's an excuse, but that's just the truth. And and, and maybe, yes, maybe you are mature enough to kind of go it alone, but maybe somebody else isn't. (laughs) 
maybe somebody else isn't. Maybe that's what the Lord wants me to do. And the third reason why I think this is important, this discipleship relationship, is because it's how we live out the command that we're supposed to love others. I mean, if we're not in relationship and we're not connected to others, how in the world are we supposed to live that out? Here's why we don't do it. (laughs) Number one reason, because it's messy. It's messy. We're messy people. Because we still struggle with our sinful nature. We still rub each other wrong. I, I think the other re- another reason why we don't do it is because it takes time. I think the most valuable thing that any of us has, more than anything that we own, is our time. Because for this to, to happen, it has to be intentional. It has to be consistent. And that's true of any healthy relationship. And I think the third reason is because we just don't simply know where to start. Just don't know where to start. And again, I want to bring us back to that word devoted. That word devoted, it's good beside, right? It's the idea of increasingly, becoming increasingly good at being close beside others. To really know others and to love others. And this can only happen out of our relationship with God and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What we see happening in these verses isn't a formula. It isn't a checklist of things for us to do for the church. It's the fruit of the gospel. Imagine what will happen when we begin to live this amazing, restored relationship with God and one another through the work of the Holy Spirit in us and with the message of the gospel. And this is the church that I hope that we're becoming. Let's pray. Father, you are amazing. Father, I pray that you would just continue to transform us to be the people that you want us to be, that you would continue to remind us of what you have done for us. Father, we need to be reminded each and every day because we are so distracted by all of the other things that filter into our lives. And Father, we realize that the good news of what Jesus has done is not just the starting point, but Father, it is everything for us. Father, would you just continue to shape us as a community of followers of you into the relationship with you and with one another that you desire for us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.